button is hit. I didn't even say button. Right. button. Oh, here we are. You can't, you can't do it wrong. There is no wrong. There's no dawdlers. There is no wrong. There's no right, but there's no wrong. There's no wrong either. way. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is all equally the same shade of gray. Ooh. Then then about forty nine shades. That is. Um. Yeah. What's uh? Do, do you want to dawdle or do you just want to go into it? I don't really give a shit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we ever did? Did you once? I don't know. What has happened to you, Mr. McKenna? I know. All right. Uh, like we'll just get into it then. It's almost like a short, but this won't be a short. This will be longer, I'm guessing. So. Well, because who couldn't talk for hours about this fascinating cast of characters? Ooh, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, then I'll uh, I'll kick us off, okay? I am. Okay. <laughs> I am. Uh, Ryan, attention, comfort care, McKenna. <laughs> uh, I'm Harland. This is the only place to be, Grant. Lame. And we are the... <laughs> this, this is Toddlers and this Toddlers Plus podcast. Classic version. Ooh. Country recording. Yeah. Classic version, longish, basically, probably more than 40 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Doddler's classic. That's what we should call these from now on. Isn't it sad we've been around long enough to have such a thing yeah. and still have fewer listeners than any random YouTube <laughs> <laughs> ancillary figure that we end up looking at when we do our research? That's right. That's so true. We are not worth it, but uh, here we continue to come back for the punishment. Um, yeah, so I should probably uh, look at my handy, trusty notes. What are we talking about tonight? <clears throat> We're going to be talking about... This ab- is Gossip Boys, the Gossip Boys. Yeah, who doesn't tonight, love... isn't it? Well, it's the intellectual gossip. Thing. Yeah, like I think I kind of do watch it because I it's so so often it's they're talking about nothing but so meaningfully, you know, uh, so emphatically. Yeah, or whatever. It's it's got a lot of they're hyper vague, but they also uh, um they they also say it in a very meaningful tone. They're just you know anyway. 
get to it, Ryan. Okay, we're we're talking about. Uh, well, I mean, I'm I wanting the topic is margin haunting. Uh, which you know it, we're we're not talking about a specific margin haunter this time. This is kind of a little meta, a little above the the individuals. There is a, uh, and I'm I'm pro. I would be surprised if anyone listening to this hasn't already uh, been introduced or become familiar with this other podcast, which came on later than us, but is, you know, <laughs> coming on stronger. But uh, um, anyway, it's called Decoding the Gurus, and it essentially is just, you know, we've, we've taken on the IDW business. This one isn't specifically geared towards focusing only on the intellectual dark web, but we certainly taken on, I guess, our fair share of these these people that they take on, like Brett Weinstein and Eric Weinstein, IDW members, and all that kind of crap. And then they've gone on to others as well. But um, I think their names are Matt Brown and Chris Cavanaugh. One is Brown. I think is a I think he's a psychologist, but he has sort of like a sort of cybernetic-y type background, uh, and then. Chris Kavanaugh, I think, is just a cognitive anthropologist. Um, but all these titles, you know, it's like you could just slap anything to, you know, not anything together. But it does have that kind of like, well, I'm an astrological astronomer, you know, or whatever. Anyway. Um, and so uh, they talk their primary topic, subject subject area, um, is they call secular gurus. Which I think my general sense for the definition could be something like, because they never quite nail it down. And I think they're quick to say that it's sort of all very much in progress or whatever. But a definition of a secular guru might be like someone claiming special knowledge and presenting as like a public intellectual, you know, and uh, essentially, you know, Sort of has a sort of self-helpy quality to them, but um, I think Chris Kavanaugh has at times said something along the lines of, you know, invoking a family resemblance, family resemblance concept, you know, and that things are sort of on a spectrum or whatever. But um, I don't know. I don't know if any of that jibes with you, uh, but I'll just quickly say before I let you hand over the mic or whatever. That, you know, I was in in listening to a few of these things and, you know, following the gossip on Twitter or wherever. Um, I've just I was thinking, well, I wonder if any of our margin haunters fall into the secular guru spectrum. My hunch is they don't. Some might do it more um, than others. But anyway, I won't. I'll just let you riff on anything if you want i was just, that was just sort of my definition someone claiming special knowledge presenting as a public intellectual and that they can guide us to the promised land or whatever and what do you mean by special knowledge Some, like like specific yeah like um it's like it, special knowledge to me i always think of as just like it's i have better information you know 
And it's because I've gone to the mountaintop or whatever, usually is what it seems like. And so they come back and they're like, listen to me. I was at Evergreen. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you know, and then and then there's a and, and, you know, there's a bit of a performance um, to this secular guru. But they aren't. The other thing about the, the idea that they're secular is that. Uh, you know, they they aren't religious or anything like that. And there's not a ton of spirituality. There might be other things like the Sam Harrisy mindfulness or some kind of, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson Jungian archetypes type stuff, but it, nothing that's flat out like, you know, spiritual guru type. Or even where there is, like with Peterson's Christianity that isn't the focus of his guruhood. Yeah, his whole thing a, is like a man side up. Project. Yeah. 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 Right. But I will say that what was funny is that I remember it was either I've, I think it's both. I've read and seen someone talk about it who was somebody who was close to him um in the academic setting who I think is an emeritus at this point or whatever and he was like he specifically remembers someone like Jordan Peterson saying that he wouldn't mind starting a church or whatever. So that even like really puts him in the guru category, I guess, to some extent, uh, given what we know about him now. Man, but can't you feel the pull and see the appeal of having your own church? Man, you could just do what you want all day. You can get your parishioners to make you food. Call it fellowship time or whatever afterwards. He could be like, no one ever makes me lunch. (laughs) And you just have to pass a hat around and they dump money into it. And they'll make you buildings with fancy paint on the ceiling and colored glass windows. Having a church sounds like a pretty sweet gig. You don't have to pay fucking taxes. Damn. Well, why aren't you? I think I want to start a church. (laughs) I was going to say, I was like, Jesus, this is... Sounds like a fucking new job. Oh, all right, I'm out. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I shouldn't have said it. I've like totally dashed your hopes. Well, anyway. Um, um. Okay. So yeah, what are we getting at here? Oh, your encapsulation of a definition of what the decoding the gurus project might mean by these secular gurus. And compare and contrasting it with the Doddler's margin haunters and seeing how the taxonomic crossover does or doesn't occur. Something on that order. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, and and they have their thing called, you know, a way to assess um, uh, whether or not some of these margin haunters are kind of like secular gurus is they have this thing called a gurometer or whatever, which is tongue in cheek. Um, and it's just a bunch of criteria that they use to say, um, you know, whether or not somebody is, you know, high or low on the gurometer, whether or not they're, you know, really pushing the secular guru thing or, or not. Um, I didn't like, pull down all of the definitions or any really for these things. So we're just going to have to like, you know, uh, 
which is good because I don't want this to be about decoding the gurus. I want it to be about margin haunting. But there are all these little criteria, <laughs> um, which, you know, I'll just run through them real quick uh, that they have. And so it's like, oh, well, you know, when thinking about this, it's like, well, you know, does Korzybski or does Robert Anton Wilson or Uncle Terrence or Watts, you know, any of these people, uh, maybe even somebody we haven't done yet, like Rupert Sheldrake, you know, do they fall into this category kind of stuff? And, and uh, you know, that's the sort of something to think of. So the first one is galaxy brainedness, um, which I think the idea is that you're just kind of pulling from all different kinds of, uh, you know, things like, you know, like it's like, you're like, oh, yes, and this is related to this, which is related to this, you know, that kind of thing. And you're, you know, being all big about, you know, how it's all connected and you know why and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. picture in the dictionary next to this is a bust of Eric Weinstein, <laughs> right? Like yeah. he is the poster child Yeah. for galaxy brainness, which I always want to be galaxy brainedness. Me too. I don't know what's wrong with okay anyway. No, for sure. I, I don't know Get what's hung wrong up with on this. Me well, yeah, it's like two hours later. <laughs> um all right, so the next one would be uh cultishness. Um and I guess uh you know it, it's just it's there's a sort of devotional quality to it that is sort of required in cultishness. I don't know if you have a definition of that one besides you know, a bust of somebody in particular, but I guess you could keep oh, saying. Oh, yeah, that's Jordan Peterson, right? Yeah, Jordan Peterson. everybody to put their lobster claws right, on. Exactly. <laughs> have as many as possible overt symbols to indicate the in-group, out-group, right? Right. And all of the little T-shirts and phrases, and you got to drop in your bona fides, that you are a, a better advocate or a better acolyte, I mean, than another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. The next one is anti-establishmentarianism, which I think you could go back to uh, Eric for that one if you want, or Brett, you know, Weinstein. Um, and that one's just sort of this, you know, the idea that there's like, you know, it, I think Eric likes to talk about the gatekeepers. And he's got another acronym, which I can't recall right now, but they talk a lot about it um, on the guru thing, especially. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to help us remember to make acronyms out of things, Eric. But when you make so many, yeah, it just gets all jumbled up together. Are no, you thinking of the disc? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> just that's like Christ. Yeah, I mean, he's just having fun at this point. He's just like, hmm, I've got it. He probably runs it by his wife at dinner. And is that I even forget what that is for our listeners who probably are too highbrow to even follow this crowd. <laughs> but is it like the Information suppression complex or something. Yeah, distributed. It, yes, distributed. Information suppression yes. complex. Yes. So, so th this is the anti-establishmentarianism stuff, which I think leads really nicely into the next one, which I think of Sam Harris when I think of it is grievance mongering. <laughs> so, just sort of, you know, this is going to be cheap, but just be like, yeah, and then they did this to me, and then I didn't. But I think Eric and and Brett again uh, fall into this quite well. Um, where you I know. was going to save Harris for narcissism <laughs> and talk about uh, yeah. the uh, grievances like James Lindsay and Bogosian. 
Oh my god. Those crowd. Or Aaron Rodgers. It's a witch hunt. Current events. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um yeah, okay. That's so, what people like. If we're gonna get Patreons, we have to talk about current events <laughs> and gossip. Yeah, that is what about competitors. And crime. Which I could we could start to do. Be like I like like the like Portland crime, you know, me from in the bunker, like like speaking to you, and you're like, you know, like I'm some kind of reporter on the inside of some like war torn country. Anyway, Portland is burning. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um. Anyway, yeah. So then, uh, yeah, narcissism, self-aggrandizement. That almost seems like doesn't need any kind of outside of yourself, uh, your. Sam Harris uh, mentioning, um, you know, that's clearly sort of a thing there. Anyway, whatever. The next one, I can't remember. I'd have to look this one up. Uh, and this one, I think, comes from like the Matt Brown guy because he's mentioned it multiple times. But Cassandra complex, which I think, if I recall correctly, is is saying like, well, no one listened to me when I said that, you know, that kind of thing. Um you know, so like I yeah, warned I you, you know, I call it the chicken little syndrome. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's another that everything's one, yeah. a catastrophe and the sky is falling and I told you so. And Exactly. Yeah. So that you've got that. That's the Cassandra complex. Uh, and I guess Brett definitely h- hits this one pretty hard. Then, quote unquote, revolutionary theories, which I think. Again, the Weinstein brothers, they've they've received quite a bit of attention, maybe for these reasons. I don't know. But uh, yeah, making at least claims of having revolutionary theories. Yeah. Which is uh, at best debatable at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's but, you know, it's the idea that it's like, oh, and this could, you know, save humanity and end cancer and whatever. And it's the, you know, the uh, theory of everything kind of stuff. Um, and then they say pseudo profound bullshit, which I just think of is, it's just that vague kind of, maybe it's distributed information suppression complex or whatever. It's this kind of like, they say a lot of stuff, um, that sounds right. But then if you were to try and match it up with, I don't know, go to an, go to the academy and uh, you know and start reading the papers and would there be any kind of phrases like that shared by scientists or whatever and it's like no nah, there's nothing like that you know it's kind of pseudo profound they'll say big words but you know stringing them together and it's just sort of word salad but it's big words you don't know kind of thing um and then conspiracy mongering which I mean Jesus this you know Lots of that coming from these guys, and you don't even need to define that. And lots of that coming from everywhere, Q and on, 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 on. Um, and then grifting. Alex Jones. Right. Grifting, profiteering. Uh, say no more. Say no more. That they're all selling supplements and stuff along with their ideas. Yeah, no. And then, you know, one of the things that always gets me is uh, – like, I don't know what it is about this, but I mean, we don't do it because we don't, we're again, nobody. Maybe if we had, you know, bigger, whatever, 
we would. But like there's so often like even the guru guys will be chatting and then they'll just like and blah, blah. And they'll just like shift into an advertisement <laughs> or whatever. Well, and they just... have uh, big time. What do they call it in the movies? Like product placement yeah. basically yeah like they'll try to make it sound as though it's just a conversation hey have you heard about this website i just stumbled upon <laughs> yeah, it totally and like there is the element of that and that i hate to say but that definitely has a grifting profiteering quality to it even though i re- i get that much of what everybody's making money to do is just going back into you know whatever they do podcast or you know, they start a university or whatever. Um, you know, the money that they earn to some extent is going to be going back into keep doing whatever it is they're doing. But as we, Which you, I forgot to mention that this episode, <laughs> I was going to say we can attest been sponsored by the University of Austin. We can attest uh, you can do this without any money. So come on, guys. Anyway, um, boy, we're a bunch of sad, sad little podcasters. Bitter, <sighs> envious trolls. <laughs> so, who among our so modern haunters? You know. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Ask your question. Well, I was gonna. Does this fit in here to you, or how can they leave off the sort of self-help part? Because to me, that's almost the biggest one, or that is what draws the boundary for me the most between the sort of people that we tend to deal with and label margin hunters and then these gurus, that they are all about, oh, I'll tell you how you can have a better life. And it versus the ones we are like, hey, I got this weird obscure idea about aquatic apes eating mushrooms or what like <laughs> they're not trying to say necessarily how I can fix your problems in your relationship or, you know, just this very Right. Or it's if the world would just do this, we'd all be a lot better. Or, you know, I think the one thing is if it's not a direct self-help thing, it's with like, say, Eric Weinstein or whatever. It's like, uh, well, I would help you, but <laughs> you know, there's something in the way, you know, or whatever, you know, just it's that kind of, you know, you know, I would I would help you guys out. But apparently we can't because the distributed whatever is not letting us yeah and i guess they also don't have on here on this list of 10 anyway the other one that we talk about frequently in the margin haunters about having a fucking sense of humor and i think that's such a big difference yeah contrast brett weinstein's political party or what was it even called that he tried to start Oh, in the God. 2020 election, it was, it was called like Unity Now or something, yeah, shit like that, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Unity Now, <laughs> whatever it was, um, it was Unity something. 2020. Yeah, <laughs> with uh, Robert Anton Wilson's Guns and Dope Party, you know. Right. And it's just that there, on the one side, it's satire and it's playing a joke on these ideas, but the gurus instead seem to be frighteningly absurdly earnest right yes these uh completely impossible lofty goals and they don't seem to have a sense of humor about it 
Well, okay, my question is, okay, well, who among these then margin haunters would even fall into these? How would they, uh, how would the, you know, the the meter stick go on the gurometer here? You know, like, would it go at all? Like, what about Alan Watts? Like, what would you say about Alan Watts and any of these, uh, you know, categories or whatever? I could imagine there being charges of pseudo-profound bullshit. Yeah, that's the one I looked at just right off the bat. But for me personally... Oh, a little red-letter media there. I know, I've got so many red-letter memes in my head <laughs> lately. It's hard to get them out once they get in. I also have problems with the pseudoscience label i'm kind of with shell drake on that one where it's really hard to have some view from where from nowhere from somewhere where you are able and to legitimately argue that this linguistic object this complex text whether or not it turns out to be pseudo profound or actually profound mm. how can you tell the difference like where do you get off saying oh yeah yeah that's just pseudoscience versus well maybe there's something to it versus it's legitimately way ahead of its time and maybe we won't know for 50 or 100 years that that this was pretty good stuff well, I, uh, th I mean, this is why I think it's worth talking about margin haunters. Um, but I have an answer to that, but I don't know if we want to, because that was one of these, I've got these two things I wanted to talk about after we talked okay. about the comparison. Mm -hmm. So we, I mean, maybe I can try and remember or I can do it now. I, I don't really, I don't know if it needs to be answered right now, if there's uh, still more to be said about comparing, you know, some of these people. Like, uh, would you say Terrence, Uncle Terrence, Terrence McKenna, was a, had galaxy brainness at all? <laughs> or yeah, I could see some of that, maybe. Yeah. I don't, I mean, these guys, one of the things about these guys in particular, maybe there's some ladies out there that haunt the margins that we just don't know about yet, but the guys in particular, they all had some kind of an audience. And even to this day, like when we put out a margin haunting episode, it tends to get a lot of, you know, uh, love or whatever, you know, or at least attention more so than the, it seems like the average uh, episode because they have a, at least a lot of the people who really like them, you know, are still alive, <laughs> you know, like, and they maybe some of them even went to their lectures or, you know what I mean? Like they would be invited to give talks here and there. And, of course, they wrote books. And while they were never a uh, in, you know, you know, part of any like IDW type thing, um, I do think that Terrence McKenna and Rupert Sheldrake had like, a, you know, a, a friendliness and that they got together at times to do their, you know, margin haunting together, you know, on a stage somewhere. Um yeah, with uh, Ralph Abraham, who we haven't talked about specifically. Yeah, we haven't gotten to Ralph. So, um, 
you know, so that's the other thing is like, well, is there a bit of cultishness at all, you know, in that? Um, or is it just, hey, can people go on a stage and talk? And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, where do you draw the line on some of that stuff? I don't see a bit of cultishness there might be just my bias because I happen to like these fellows. But I, tribal. I, mean, I think a lot of them were quite explicitly anti-cult and would and were aware of the possibility that, you know, okay, well, I'm this erudite person on a stage with a microphone. There's a crowd of you out there staring at me. This is the sort of situation that can lead to some culture, cultish tendencies. So I think that they often would act explicitly to dissuade any of their audience from becoming too culty. Yeah, especially uh, someone like Robert Anton Wilson, <clears throat> I think. But what about like Alfred, you know, uh, Korzybski? Um, we titled the episode, which probably should have been the first haunting the margins episode, but didn't think about it until later. Yeah. Yeah. But he, you know, we titled it curing this guy's headache, <laughs> you know, and you talked about how he got really into that. He was like, Oh, and he, you know, he, he got super excited for some reason. I have this like, uh, image in my head of a of a frantic bald man with a measuring calipers or whatever you know measuring a guy's head over and over again or whatever um but you know you had mentioned in that episode i believe that he would like have the guy he like studied him or whatever or something i don't know i think that it might be the case that korzybski as an individual had some cult leader tendencies i don't know too much about that because I mostly engage uh, as one, perhaps ought to, with the ideas or whatever. I don't know as much about the person. But yes, I think that could be true, that Korzybski could have been more cultish than some of the others. But then what about like this whole uh, anti-establishmentarianism stuff? Like, I think about Watts and Terrence talking about... Um, you know, culture and stuff like that, especially, you know, I think we even used Uncle Terrence's uh, like a clip from him talking about culture, you know, like and he, you know, like it has this sort of like, you know, you know, don't give in to the mob mentality, you know, like, you know, don't be a tool of of society's bidding or whatever, you know, which almost seems anti-establishmentarianism like. But I don't think culture as a whole isn't the establishment in this sense, is it? I thought this was more about the institutions or academia or whatever than just the whole broad Western culture. I don't know that... Because uh, the Weinsteins aren't against that. Well, they're like trying they to preserve in favor Western of enlightenment values and all. Well, this yeah. Crap. So they so like what, some of the. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what would someone like, you know, uh, Terrence McKenna would be saying is is something even higher up than, than the you know like I don't think he'd be in a, a a culture war with another culture. He's sort of in a culture war with 
with culture or something. Uh, but these guys, you know, clearly seem to have a, uh, an issue with, with the way cultures are, 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 um, the dynamic of cultures, especially when it comes to, you know, new world orders and things like that. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe you're just like, if he was a general thing and, and, uh, but still that hint of like, yeah, man, fuck the blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just what I think when I think of that. Okay. I mean, yeah, like I could see them saying fuck the police type thing. And that's a type of establishment. But I don't get the sense, for example, that any of those people that are on our list so far or will be coming up, like perhaps Shell Drake, maybe David Deutsch, is he in this? Uh, Kevin Kelly, maybe. Um, Stuart Kaufman. I don't know that they are anti-academia or the establishment of the canon type thing they all seem educated in that and willing to cite those people and just generally in favor of that sort right. of stuff I that's think. a big More so than these other guys and then i think of another figure that we haven't talked about but i think we probably will someday another podcaster uh thaddeus russell and i'm wondering if he's kind of a little bit closer like, is he a margin hunter or is he a little more like a guru? And I think that he would qualify as really anti-establishment. Yeah, for sure. More so than uh, Antoine Rapport or whatever. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something and now I've totally forgotten. But... I have that effect on people. <laughs> no, it was... Uh... And so does... Ooh. Guinness. Oh, it, I, I, I don't have any. Uh, is that a Guinness? That can't be a Guinness. You're not no, doing... of course not. This is a Surly Furious. Oh, okay. Who is also not sponsoring this episode? <laughs> oh, drink more Guinness, kids. Uh, I don't remember what it was I was going to say, but it was so profound. Um. Oh shoot! Whatever. Damn it. It was something that you mentioned. I can always edit this meandering out, but uh, mm-hmm. it was something you mentioned about um, it was before you brought in. Um, it was so you were talking about Kevin Kelly and you were talking about somebody else. Kaufman. No. Um, let's see. Who all did I say? Oh, no. I know what. Now I know what it was. One of the things that that our margin haunters then likely do quite a bit that I don't think many of these secular gurus do, some of them might, but many of them I don't think do, is cite other people. <laughs> like that's something that seems like a, I mean, they might like circle jerk with each other, you know, to an extent, but there's not a ton of like, you know, it's almost like someone like, like Eric Weinstein will talk almost ex- exclusively about people that he knows, you know, like mm-hmm. that's his <laughs> in, you know? So it's like, well, I know this guy at university of Chicago or this guy at Harvard, you know, or that kind of thing. 
but never like I read this paper. I don't know who the fuck these people are, but I thought it was really interesting and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. no like and Brett is very much like that, um, um, you know, Stephen Wolfram type where just like he doesn't like write. He wrote a book recently, but it's like he hardly writes anything down. He hardly cites anybody about anything. It allows him to be the expert, you know, in all things. And you trust his word, you know, because he's been there and he's just kind of boiling it down for you kind of thing. Whereas I don't think any of our margin haunters had that quality to them. Some of them, it wouldn't even make sense for them to cite per se, you know, like for instance, like Alan Watts was kind of, you know, his, his journey to where he got later on when he was doing all that talking and giving lectures and stuff seems like it wasn't like it wasn't this like him in a library all day it was him it really was him on a mountaintop which is an interesting component of the secular guru thing i sometimes think he might have more guruness but not in the jordan peterson style by any stretch just sort of you know flowing robes and a big beard <laughs> just like right <laughs> there's there is the look of that just to an extent um, he looks more like a guru. He does. He and he even has his well, he has his great voice, you know, and um Oh, the other thing that I wanted to mention um is that when I watch uh you know, I was I was talking about that movie uh called The Master, right? And I've talked to you about that maybe maybe even when you were here last or whatever. But just that how amazing the Philip Seymour Hoffman uh uh, portrayal of the you know Scientology guy kind of thing was very similar to the way uh, Eric Weinstein behaves you know and I was thinking like but like nobody in this like Korjibsky to Watts Sheldrake Kevin Kelly whatever seemed to fall into that at all like uh, they don't have that sort of overly like they, it's like they only show up to say something because they've been asked to say something about something that, you know, they've kind of gotten into, whatever, whatever that is. It, there isn't that that sense of of uh, kind of pleading or whatever. I don't know how else to describe it, but just sort of constantly trying to educate and, you know, get people to get on board with what you're saying. And and then you'll all go to that house together or whatever, you know, I don't know. It doesn't, they don't seem to have that as much either. Well, I got distracted by whatever, for whatever reason. Oh, because you're talking about the master as this house. <clears throat> I thought of, my head went right away to another figure we haven't talked about yet of Tim Leary and how much he's a guru because he had that literally <laughs> this physical house like right. encampment in New York, upstate New York or wherever it was where he wanted everyone to go and live that life and he was definitely all about uh i have the answer to all your problems type so he probably figure. would have been more of a guru secular guru than a margin haunter would you say i tend to think so with what i know about him so far yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah. So anyway, that 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 was the in terms of comparing, that was pretty much the extent for me of just trying to, you know, 
I, I mean, I wasn't expecting to go down one after the other, just sort of yeah. to talk about it, but it got me thinking about margin haunting. I obviously this isn't a super systematic way of going about it, but I guess our sense is that, uh, number one, the secular secular gurus don't really have a, 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 a sense of humor that's, you know, self-deprecating at least, you know, especially, right? That's kind of an important one that... Right, yeah. They and I think the guru... I think that the Brown and Kavanaugh of the Decoding the Gurus podcast, I think they do mention, especially like when they talk about someone like Sam Harris, how he's he's really funny when he's making fun of someone else, you know, but he's really, when a, when a joke is on his at his expense or whatever, he's like, he doesn't think it's all that hilarious and he just really needs everyone to listen to what's being said, you know, or whatever. Um, oh, I think Harris is so funny in an ironic way about his extreme distaste for Trump, which I share, but that he is so Trumpy in this way. <laughs> I remember comedians talking about how Donald Trump at his roast, uh, the Comedy Central roast of Trump or whatever, like never uh-huh. laughed at any of the things before, during, or after, and was only just oh pissed God. off. And he's just, and he wouldn't go at all to the White House correspondence dinner type. Yeah. venue and he just has no sense of humor period but especially about himself right and i think that oh. harris is just like him in that way he's just like <laughs> no i'm uh, you can't i'm not to be made fun of <laughs> i'm not tribal or whatever it was he said in that episode um yeah yeah uh, but okay so and that's of course, something Trump that's missing. Is, though he's obviously not only not intellectual, but anti-intellectual. So in that sense, wouldn't fall into this secular gurus because they're all, in some sense, trying to be public intellectuals. But Trump is obviously a giant cult leader. Right. Exactly. Um, Probably the biggest we've got, obviously in America, maybe on Earth right now, right? Trump is a cult leader? Mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, it's 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 hard to say because it's like, well, you know, then there's the Pope. <laughs> like, there's oh, another yeah. big I one. I always forget about these. <laughs> like, are there yeah. still Catholics? I guess there are. Okay. I'm sure. Yeah. Christ, I I I was born and sort of raised that way, but I don't even think my parents cared. They were just like, God damn, it's Sunday again. My dad just wants to watch football. Anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, so what was I going to say about um, – oh, so – but you added a component. You thought that was missing from this gurometer, which is the self-help part. I don't know if they would say it's it's thread throughout the whole thing or whatever. But, you know, that's definitely something that probably is not going to be part of – margin haunting per se except there does seem to be an element of that in someone like watts at times and then or a lot of times and then maybe korjibsky curing some guy's headache i don't know uh but definitely not with robert anton wilson or uncle terrence i don't think rupert sheldrake's trying to do any self-help uh i mean i like uh, that they're just interested in the ideas or whatever they're just nerds it's just yeah. their particular ideas or their takes on their ideas haven't been as widely accepted in the institutions as certain other people's. 
but, but yeah, it's like I don't. I'm not. I don't want to sell you supplements or figure out how to tell you to clean your room. I have this. Yeah. Uh, I've developed a mathematical model to reflect the presence of novelty in the universe or something very (laughs) abstract and like that's what they all get fired up about and i like that much more personally me personally yeah you personally yeah of course and that's yeah that's why we don't waste our time with those damn secular gurus um yeah and there was something else and i don't remember and it doesn't truly matter uh but yes nothing matters if so learn nothing from this podcast. Yeah, life is meaningless, and depends on w- what time of your life is could be hopeless or not. <laughs> but um, uh, so yeah, okay. So my next, if you're if you're good, we can yeah, move go, on. What you got? So I thought of like a couple different ways to then try and talk about what is like margin haunting or what's a way we can kind of um you know just kind of think of other because i mean one of the things is we often kind of at the beginning of doing an episode of margin haunters or whatever um of our margin hunter episodes is we um try and define it to an extent and we do you know our little thing but i'm always feeling a little uh slightly unsatisfied i wish there was some kind of like way to you know really you know nail it um you know like these decoding the gurus guys i don't think they nail it at all they 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 say some good memes like secular gurus and they talk a little bit about but in the end it's kind of like it's kind of how i feel about our own thing so i thought like well there's two times i've had a thought about well it's not a way to define it, but it's just sort of a way to create a picture or characterize the, uh, the thing. And so um, the first one, I think, answers a qu- kind of one, one of the questions that you had earlier. Um, <clears throat> and it had to do. Did it have to do with was it like paradigms at all? Were you talking about that at one point? I don't remember what the I, actual... ha- I did token that word. I don't all even right. remember the context now. I don't either. Um, but it will all make sense later or something. Uh, okay. So this one I would say is, I'm going to say, uh, uh, what it is that margin haunters are about. And it, it we're just having fun here is, <laughs> Uh, what they're about is substandard to any paradigm. So I'm going to read from Thomas Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. Um, one of the things, and this is, of course, all about science, so it, it doesn't have to be about science. So uh, I just had to put that in there. One of the things a scientific community acquires with a paradigm is a criterion for choosing problems that, while the paradigm is taken for granted, can be assumed to have solutions. To a great extent, these are the only problems that the community will admit as scientific or encourage its members to undertake. You were talking about pseudoscience. Anyway. Other problems, including many that had previously been standard, are rejected as metaphysical as the concern of another discipline, or sometimes as just too problematic to be worth the time. 
A paradigm can, for that matter, even insulate the community from those socially important problems that are not reducible to the puzzle form because they cannot be stated in terms of the conceptual and instrumental tools the paradigm supplies. And I'll just stop there for right now. So what I was thinking when I was reading that was it's kind of like the reason why they are at the margin or whatever is because they're kind of outside the central core of what all these different groupings of communities, whether they be scientific or otherwise, are trying to do, you know. And so it's like everybody has their marching orders in a paradigm. And it's like, I don't have time for your fucking like morphogenetic fields. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I am here trying to do my molecular biology. You know, I learned my stuff and now I'm puzzle solving. I'm doing my normal science. Please stop bugging me with your if a mouse in China does something, it'll start doing it in, you know, Arizona. Anyway, that was that was my one one of the things I was thinking about when I was and I read it. It was probably almost a year ago when I read that again. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, maybe that's a way to think about margin haunters, that they're just sort of they're they're not in a standard paradigm per se. And so they're just kind of out there, you know, like, you know, knocking on doors, me like, can I come in, you know, or whatever. And everyone's like, oh, we're too busy solving our problems, you know. Or puzzles. Wasn't that the Kuhnian? Yeah, puzzles or whatever. That normal science addresses a certain so, subset of questions that qualify so as like puzzles when, given their pieces. Right. When uh, that, um, what was it called? Like a a beautiful something. It was that conversation, that video conversation. I think it was a, a Danish or Belgian uh uh, um, TV program back in the late 80s or early 90s and it had uh, Stephen Jay Gould, Daniel Dennett um, Stephen Tolmid or Tolmite or whatever Tolmine um, Oliver Sacks and it had uh, 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 Freeman Dyson and it had uh, Rupert Sheldrake and they would be going off about something. And all of a sudden, Rupert would, like, <laughs> throw open the door and just completely, like, stall the whole conversation. And the rest of them would be like, Jesus, Rupert. You know, like, and that's kind of what I was thinking. It's just, like, they're in this paradigm where they're like, oh, yeah, we've got, you know, our little, you know, instrumental and conceptual tools that we're using. And we're bouncing them off each other and blah, 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 blah. And, like, Rupert's just sort of like, well, what about the the seagulls that can you know, fly without flapping their wings or whatever the hell it is, you know, like, uh, and they were just like, Jesus, man. And I don't have an exact thing because I just remembered it now. But anyway, that's sort well, of what if I'm you, doing. He, again, you could edit in a little clip. I'm, um, I'm not sure about, about, about octopuses. I, um, <laughs> See, I think, yeah. it's, I, think it's pure, I think it's pure aesthetics. Yeah. And I think people who try and construct moral arguments for vegetarianism, for example, will just never succeed. Carrots are as highly evolved as a lot of things we eat. But I respect the aesthetic argument. You look into the eye of a mammal, and because the genealogical relationship is close enough, and there are homologously shared emotional reactions, we see enough of ourselves in the cow. There are many vegetarians who will eat fish, but not 
<coughs> so-called red meat, and I think that's very yeah, much the same yeah. same point. We look in the eye of a fish we don't see, because I don't think there's as much homologously shared. From an evolutionary point of view, arthropods are wondrous in their complexity. I would, and many of the groups of arthropods are far later evolved than fishes, so I don't know that one can make that distinction. And if there was an oyster, which, when you opened it up, for curious reasons, just had what looked exactly like a human face on it. Most people would be extremely reluctant to eat it for no other reason, I'm sure. No, but I do think there are, you know, there are some more serious reasons. And Steve, I'm sure, I seem to recall somebody telling me that crocodiles don't dream, but birds do. I mean, that 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 is some that 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 the, the question of what kinds of families and the echidna and, doesn't dream hmm? i think the echidna doesn't the dream but it's aesthetics due to homologously shared mm -hmm. characters that's all i'm saying yeah, i agree with it is, you. but aesthetics yeah. is a serious subject uh, yes oh yeah no that's use it as a no i don't use this as a brush away steven i wasn't no, no, i wasn't good, i was good. seriously <laughs> saying that i absolutely respect the aesthetic <laughs> justification yeah, yeah. for vegetarianism mm -hmm. i just wish people would define it that no i ultimately respect but still the question but the question no I mean, you respect. see, you, you, can be, you can be Tom Nagel and suggest that there's no way in which we could empathize with a bat. Uh, you know, on the other hand, I there do. are ways that, you know, there are very I interesting like questions that. about the, the extent to which it's not unreasonable to think that, that, that different species have, have a kind, kinds of experience that are, in certain crucial respects, more or less like ours. I mean, e.g., are they capable of dreaming? Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's uh, uh, intractable even to the cold, hard, objective methods of science, I think. Well, I'm talking well, about this as a scientific question. Yeah, I mean, sure. I, think, I think much of what Steve chooses to call aesthetics is also part of science. But, well, no, but I mean, uh, uh, I think that we're making tremendous progress on, on uh, getting the information so we'll be able to say exactly what it's like to be a bat. Uh, it's still a long way off, but, but we can say a lot about what it isn't like now already because we know about enough about limitations on the, the bat's totally. nervous system that we know that, uh, that it just can't be like, like some people might imagine it to be, and this is already progress. I find this discussion really provincial. I mean, we're assuming that consciousness is confined to animals on Earth. What about the consciousness of the sun? Um, when do we get to initiate, to bring in your coinage, your neologism that I loved so much, that I don't want to steal your thunder and say? Oh, shit. Do it. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about these guys that protect the status quo, like Steven Pinker and, and, uh. You know, in a way, I kind of think some of these these two decoding the gurus guys kind of do, and I, and I, I, you know, was going back and forth with you on Discord, and I was like, "Quo bros," that was my my thing. Status yes. quo bros. <laughs> we need this term because I have a I can't do taxonomy without biting my tongue, which is in my cheek so far every time, because I realize that it's all more or less arbitrary bullshit that humans make so that they, they might have some amount of use in some context or other, but there's no fact of the matter about any of these things. 
like yeah, I mean, our we have our community. Triamond and yeah, oh, truth seekers and overseers and whatever. I I can see a use there, but it's so obviously not making any claim about reality, and no. I need to be doing that over here too. So when you call these things silly names like quo bros, it helps just you know <laughs> flag it as clearly this is silly, but. It's a useful category term to have some of the time. And I wanted to bring it in here because in that group conversation you were referencing, it was basically Shell Drake and a bunch of Quo Bros. (laughs) And so when he would come in from the margins and say something out of left field, as the saying goes... The rest of them right. would either be confused or baffled or frustrated or just kind of give him a little slap down and be like, this is obviously silly. Now let's talk about something right. that's more respectable. Exactly. And if you're, if you operate that way, I want just a silly term to refer to you. You know, If you're interested, for example, in the CV, you know, well, okay, let me see. What is this guy's background? Does he have the right, does he have a degree from an accredited institution in a relevant field? Because I don't care about that stuff, slash, and maybe even turned off a little bit by it. And I just want to hear what you have to say and and evaluate the, the claims and the arguments and the whatever. But so many people appear to be interested in the bona fides, and if you ain't got them, you're, you ain't worth nothing. Well, I think that when it comes to when it comes to some areas of life, uh, you know, politics or whatever, sometimes I wonder if, you know, I mean, I, 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 I'm willing to grant that somebody spent a lot of time thinking about blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, you know, there are going to be people, I think, who are going to be capable of, you know, they're going to be quick and they're just going to be able to put two and two together faster than the normal average person. And, and, and they won't have a tough time communicating effectively about something they haven't spent a ton of time thinking about as much as say, like, you know, the person who's trying to be tenure track job or whatever, you know? Um, And so on the one hand you have, uh, people who have spent all this time, the quo bros, protecting the status quo, doing their thing. And on the other hand, you do have the people who, you know, the joke right now is just like, you know, a uh, 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 flight attendant gets on the phone and goes, is there a doctor on the plane or someone who's done their own research? You know, it's like that kind of thing. So you have that, you know, like um, – Okay, granted, like it, it, it kind of comes back to this mutineers thing that I was talking about, but it also has this, this, this idea that like, well, wh- how can you decipher? And I think that's what this we're talking about is about. And I think to ex- to an extent, maybe these decoding the gurus people are about, is how can you tell when somebody is is worth your time to listen to? You know, and um in this day and age, it sounds like people don't know and, or it's just, the world is just swamped with everybody talking at the same time. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, uh, when someone says to somebody to stay in their lane, 
or whatever, it's kind of like, you know, okay, well, in what way are we talking here? You know, like, <laughs> are you saying that to a nurse at a hospital who's trying to like, you know, um, talk about some policy that, that she doesn't like in life or whatever? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, or, or is it something where, you know, it's a Terrence McKenna and, you know, he's talking about some kind of math or whatever. And somebody who's a mathematician at a university goes, stay in your lane, McKenna, you know, like that kind of, like, I, it's, it's, I'm hoping that doing this kind of conversations for anyone else out there who's as confused as I am, um, we'll be able to like, kind of have something to work with, you know, it's just sort of the tools for thinking style, the Dennett thing. Quo bros, you know, what is that? What's the context for talking about a quo bro, you know, or a truth seeker and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I know I've just said a whole bunch of stuff, but something in there must be worth it. <laughs> it was all pure gold. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I, I couldn't even really listen to what you were saying because you haven't reminded me recently as to where you got your degree. Oh. And if it's not <laughs> from... One of the schools that I've heard of personally, <clears throat> then you can't have anything interesting to say. I went to the University of Austin. I was the first person Ooh. to graduate. <laughs> well, I know they're good because they gave money to our podcast. No, they did not. Oh, shit. Uh, right, but we'll take it. Yeah. And then we'll make, we'll make fun of them anyway. Yeah. Will they sue us? They'll want it, their money back? Too late. Anyway, um, you need to find some people willing to punch down. <laughs> Everyone's punching all around. Well, anyway, I don't know if I had any, if I contributed at all to what you had said. I liked what you'd said, and I was like, I can say things, and then I did. Oh, but yeah, we're way off track now from you had two things that you were talking about. No, no, but yeah, but us. like I was, no, you didn't. I was talking, I was kind of riffing on what you were saying is, is what I meant to say. It was like, um, I, I totally, uh, just to summarize, I, I'm right there with you. I think the reason why the whole credentials thing can be, um, you know, kind of difficult is because I think it, not, maybe not everybody, but for a lot of people, I think that might raise anxieties, you know, because it's like, you know, it just creates self-doubt. It's a way to kind of, sh you know, stop the the talking from that person or something. You know what I mean? It's just a way to strong yes, arm. Yes, I think so. Strong arm that somebody in that conversation. That you had me listen to another apparently competitor podcast or whatever, this strenuous life guy. Oh, no. Um, I mean, he just I, – I don't feel like – Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> he oh, is, or is he mostly talking about jujitsu? I think so. Oh, but okay. anyway. he has. Well, he people... was being a quo. He exhibited a quo bro attitude. Oh, big time! In in his interview with Kavanaugh from the Gurus podcast. No, he was definitely quo bro. Frequently repeat like, if you want to talk about quantum physics, then you better show me a degree from like you better yeah, have yeah, yeah. and. I really dislike that quo attitude, quo broy attitude, and it reminds me sort of all these analogies are have their limits, right off center. <laughs> yeah. But oh, it's yeah. like the if some snob wanted to say, "You want to take me 
down to the black side of town to watch this Jimi Hendrix? Who's this? <laughs> Did he go to Juilliard? Did he go oh, to like, the Berkeley yeah. College of Music? Well, then right. I'm not going. <laughs> like there, and I really like Jimi Hendrix's. I don't even know if yeah. he was educated in music in an institution or how. I don't think, but he it, was. it doesn't matter. So yeah, I, no, sure. You can't play an instrument if you haven't got a degree. I mean, come on. Yeah, I think it's just. I mean, a lot of this obviously is just a way to to flex, right? To and to do it kind of often enough with enough people to be able to maintain that barrier between, you know, it's uh, here's another example. You want to talk about Trump again? Um. So apparently the at some point in the early 20th century or maybe a little bit maybe during the world wars or whatever um there was uh in Brooklyn and Queens and whatever there was a particular kind of accent that people who you know had more recent ethnic uh, you know, immigrant backgrounds had, you know, and basically that accent, if you think about it, is uh, the one that Bernie Sanders has. And uh, kind of, I guess for a while, everybody had it, you know, um, because everybody was kind of had an immigrant background, you know, like Trump's Drumpf, uh great grandfather or whatever, who was plea- pleading with, you know, the United States uh, government to let him stay in the country or whatever, so they don't kick him out or whatever, you know. You know, someone like him or maybe as even his dad or, or somebody would have had some kind of a that kind of accent or whatever. Maybe not his grandfather, but, you know, and at one point to kind of disassociate, you know, people wanting to disassociate themselves from that sort of immigrant, poor, inner city kind of background. They started changing the way they talked like they deliberately apparently tried to sound like, say, I do or something, you know, Um or maybe have that mid-Atlantic accent, which I think was another one that kind of got picked up. You know, like the Catherine Hepburn style of talking, you know. And uh, it was a way to kind of just create an eliteness, but, you know, and, and a kind of, you know, this is the group that I'm with and you're just a poor schlub who knows jack shit, but you make a good bagel kind of thing. And um, anyway, I just think about that as well with this whole like well did you go to a university you know it's like drawing the line i think even the way we behave uh also does that to an extent um and right now i think when you do that strong arming quo bro thing or you at least appeal to it like that guy did at the in that podcast the strenuous life podcast or whatever um you're trying to kind of put yourself on one side of that line, I think, to an extent. And, you know, when you're on, like, social media, it's just like, who the fuck knows who these people are half the time, you know? Anyway. Aren't there all kinds of psychology experiments that have a text read by someone from Mississippi and then someone with the Oxford English-British accent and how more it just sounds more credible and that oh, Americans yeah. will tend to evaluate British accents as more truthful and intelligent than, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think there is the yeah, that definitely 
I mean, I hate to say it, but I do. Like if like Google, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, what is it? The play aloud style, like uh, read aloud uh, app or function um, is, you know, if I have an option between like Larry, the the cable guy kind of thing, <laughs> whatever, and you know, uh, some generic, you know, you know, uh, British, you know, voice with the name of like Daniel or Byron or whatever. I, I will do the Byron or Daniel. I, it does give it an extra little air of sophistication. But even in England, they of course have that. Like, um, uh, Peter O'Toole, that was not his normal accent. He had a very strong or whatever accent from wherever, whatever part of England he grew up in, you know, and then he learned that countenance or whatever, you know, that's that, you know, it's just sort of on the other side of the Atlantic, you know, you've got Catherine Hepburn and you've got, you know, Peter too, you know, it's just that very high pompous circumstance kind of accent or whatever. Queen's English. I can English. only hear Dana Carvey going, wow, 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 wow. Um, but you know, anyway, so, um, Quobros. What was your other a, one? You said you had two one. things, right? Yeah. And you had, yep. what's number two? Number two. All right. I'm going to read a little cause I want it to, I want to give it the best. I want the best words. I know the best words and I'm going to use them. All right. So one idea in genetic systems is that as a population grows and expands into a new area, the quote-unquote wavefront of the expansion evolves. And it does so through the effects of its small size relative to its population center. And it's, it's at the margins of the population that genetic drift and sort of the relaxation of selective constraints maintain like neutral or slightly deleterious mutations. There's some support for this in human populations, um, for instance, with uh, settlers into the area of today we know as the province of Quebec. Um, and what it mainly is tends to be is there are these mutations that, um, you know, because of genetic drift, different mutations will, will become fixed and others will be lost. And, you know, a small population will breed together and they'll they'll bring those uh, maybe even rare g genetic variants into, uh, you know, the, the mainstream or whatever. And some of those or a lot of those can have actual disease. Like, so some of these people have cardiovascular disease issues related to the genetic effects of being in small populations and this genetic drift happening at the wave front, if you will, as Europeans are expanding into new areas and they're not commingling with Native Americans and you know, spreading the gene pool that way, probably because the diseases from Europeans killed the Native Americans off before they even got there anyway. So taking all of that into consideration, now consider mimetic systems. So as the number of people grows in a social set, uh, setting, selection promotes, let's say, the most salient memes and demotes the less salient ones. Perhaps Saliency in memes is relative to social context or some other environmental context. But as the population expands, the margin gets further away from the center. 
the margin becomes populated by few individuals relative relative to the interior. Memes that arise at the margin have like a pending saliency. Conditions on the margin are more ambivalent than they are at the met, you know, like the metapole or whatever, you know, the center. Uh, so like random accident instead might promote or demote memes. Some may be more salient in the marginal setting. If so, they grow. If the margin makes a circle, just say, uh, in that perimeter of that circle there, uh, then expansion kind of makes the margin much larger. So the distance between two opposite points will grow greater and greater if, as the expansion occurs. So the social world then becomes increasingly alien to itself, like skepticism and contrarianism, say, could increase uh, when it comes to you know, other ideas. So in a vast social setting, the closer to the margin one is, the more sympathetic they are to it. The margin, though, begins to kind of pull at the center. And if social forces are of like a similar strength, they'll ri their rivalry can like tear apart the whole. And like you could get new social groupings and new memetopoles and things like that. Anyway, I was just thinking about it in terms of, you know, what are margin haunters and what are paradigms and what does it mean to be inside versus at the edge or whatever. Um, and, uh, Let's see. One of the other things I wrote, which I haven't read yet, so here goes. <laughs> one sign. I know. One sign of a growing <laughs> and expanding social setting might be that one learns new novel things all the time, provided you know you're open enough. But if you no longer are learning new things all the time, growth may have stopped or slowed. Slow or stalled growth may also be the case if memes are becoming more and more like anachronistic and stuff. Before uh, ubiquitous access to cable and the internet, I think like rural settings in the U.S. like had a tendency to be kind of like mimetic still waters and stuff like that. So everyone still had like a Thunderbird on cinder blocks and, you know, and, you know, they're still listening to the, you know, Led Zeppelin as if it was still 1977, even though it's 91, you know, like there's that sense you get sometimes from. <laughs> You're exactly describing my youth. <laughs> you know what i mean it's like uh anyway uh so i just was thinking well they maybe that's one way we haunt the margins is that you know they could be good ideas they could be bad ideas but they're kind of just it's a you know rupert sheldrake maybe he leaves the center of you know he was like a biochemist right so maybe he leaves that area and he spends some time by himself and he comes up with his little idea or whatever. And then he, but he's kind of, you know, he's expanded out. He's not in the center of it all or something. And so he comes up with these kind of crazy ideas that get fixed, you know, and he spreads them around a little bit and, you know, tries to, you know, bring them back in. And, uh, you know, it's just, there's, there's not as much compatibility anymore, you know? Okay. So there you go. So I'm going to try to see how much of this I guacked and didn't. And we'll, you know, build back from there. So in, you're saying in the gene pool style, in the biological system, as a population is expanding into a new region, new geographical region, 
the members who are on the edge of the migration. The wave front. Which you call the wave front. <laughs> I think you said something like evolve more or what? It... What? Let's see what I said. Let's see. I'll hold my feet to the fire. Okay. The wave front of the expansion evolves. Well, I mean, it all evolves. So, I mean, evolves what? Are you saying that there's a greater speed of evolution because there's more variance or something or more extreme variance? Um, or that there's more extreme pressures on it, on the gene pool, because of the novel environmental factors it encounters? Yeah, maybe I mean it evolves... Um, I won't necessarily say evolves more rapidly because that's, but maybe it evolves more. Um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? You know, in terms of like something getting fixed, it's it's not just simply rapid, but it's complete. It's more complete. It's it's evolution. It um, typically, you know, uh, even in large populations, not even considering the margins or whatever, just you know, that there's lots of things that can be going on. There's, you know, variation can be maintained by all different types of, uh, you know, uh, factors, whether they be like migration, you know, of two populations into each other, or, you know, um, in sexually reproducing populations, we can maintain uh, variation with like crossing over, you know, in the the chromosomal crossing over. Uh, We can maintain, you know, variation in all different kinds of ways. and maybe very, maybe in terms of like the overall um, uh, 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 measurable differences in, you know, even if it's genetic, won't be nearly as great as they will be, say, at the wavefront where you're probably getting uh, certain types of genetic uh, um, components moving really quickly into a spot where they don't move anymore, you know, that kind of thing where it be, you could imagine like in natural selection, something gets selected over time to, to be a certain way or whatever. Um, and, uh, but it's not always going to be that clean, a direct movement, you know, as it, so it may take some time to get there, you know, but anyway, um, forget about what I said <laughs> about evolving. The wave front of the, you know, the of the expansion. Well, it evolves. Sure, it, lots of things evolve. What are you hung up on? <laughs> yeah. Well, I get maybe I'm jumping the gun and going back to the epistemic margin that we're talking about. But are, do we want to say that there's greater variation or something like that out on the wave front? No, there's out probably on the edges, the margins. Co- uh, collectively, there might be, to an extent. Um, more expressed variation, but um, in one spot on the margin, it might actually be less. Does that make sense? Well, right. On one spot, there might be less, but because the the circumference of the thing is, you were saying it's bigger, right? There's more margin than there is center. Well, yes, but I mean, in general, like if you were to sum up the margin itself, you would get quite a bit of variation potentially um, where any new mutations that arise, uh, you know, are going to be perhaps come to fixation and not get lost or, 
or buried in super low numbers or whatever. Um, and so in terms of the expressed variation, you might get a lot more at the margin collectively, perhaps. I'm, mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying that's guaranteed. It's just me talking. Okay, but I, that's what I was... Do you mean that in the epistemic sense? Uh, when we go yeah, back into I think we the, will yeah. express more ideas at the margin um, more, I don't want to say rapidly or quickly, but, you know, more readily, uh, you know, at the margin than we will at the middle where everything's still kind of, there are a lot of forces pulling on an internet meme, if we were to say, talk about an internet meme. And so they're going to evolve maybe just a little bit here and a little bit there. But at the margin, you have a chance to like have something go big and just like bang, you know, like be completely different and kind of not be very compatible with what's happening towards closer to the center. And in the sense of survival and reproduction, those people would want a, a success of their meme would be that it propagates back and takes over the center. Well, that certainly would be a success. I don't know if it's what they want, but they definitely, maybe they just were like, Hey, I just want people to include, you know, this too, or, or, Hey, what do you think about this guys? I hope you like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> and then you added the kind of what I was perceiving interpreting as a third piece that you have the okay. margin, the center, and then you have these little backwaters that are sort of frozen in time or something. Well, the frozenness would be um, potentially being kind of um, maybe even nearer to uh, the, you know, the center where it's going to, be harder and harder to move it because it's a, the set the closer you get to the center the closer you get to the quo bros right you know and it's like maintain your reconnoiter you know or whatever you know uh well and that's the edge is all the wave front is always moving outwards well not always but like just imagine always... it is for the time you know oh okay, yeah let's well i thought that we were still okay if it's that, fine but... if you want it to move all the time it could move all the time do it so I'm then just, it's always it's just, leaving behind all these little puddles. Right, but I was thinking really that... aren't really in the center, but now are in this burgeoning middle gray ground between the bleeding edge and the institutionalized memopole or whatever it was. Memetopole. I was thinking memetopole. of like a, me you know, like a metropole, you know, like Rome was a metropole for, you know, the city of Rome was the metropole for the... Roman Empire or whatever. A memetopole, you know, would be just like the same idea, like the center. But like, um, I did want to say like, just to kind of insert it real quick for you in case, you know, you want it. But the idea would be like, perhaps, you know, as the margins moving out, it, it's kind of, they're starting to become a little bit of a, you know, pressure or tension on the center and maybe things might break, you know, along a weak zone or something. You know, which would perhaps provide a fissure in which Eric Weinstein could fill with his University of Austin. Of yeah, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, but he's a guru, not a haunt margin haunter, right? Or is he? <laughs> well, that's a good I question. Know, I don't care. Can you be? Can you be? Uh, you know, here's the thing: is like, is it? Uh, 
margin haunters, who can be what? You know, can a guru be a margin haunter, but a margin haunter isn't necessarily a guru? Is that the idea? I don't know. Whatever. Well, I, th- when questions like that come up is when I start getting all instrumentalist again and be like, whatever, nobody is anything. It's whether or not oh, we God. want to consider them as such for some purpose or other. And if we if benefits accrue from our labeling them as such, then we will for now. But it, there's no... There's so no playing sure, the anybody game. Anybody can be anything. There's no playing the game. Huh? What are you yeah. God, it's terrible yeah, at this. Yeah, quit playing these games. <laughs> anyway, um, that was a perfect example of game playing versus overseeing <laughs> or whatever. I feel like that was exactly. Oh. You know, it's like there was that whole thing where uh, Peter Ward and some other guy, this paleontologist, just they described something they called the Goldilocks zone. And it's like, you know, it's got to be so far away from its sun and it's got to be in this part of the galaxy and it's got to be this, you know, like all that. And like some astronomer was like, you just described how life start began on Earth. And I'm like, yes, when we came up with game playing and overseeing, we're like, we're just describing ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, carry on. You're Astrobiologists seem terribly tendent to do that, to be like, yeah, there might be life in the universe, and then what they do is go look for for more humans. Or like, come on, there's a, yeah. they could be... Any, I know. Where's the carbon? But we know life doesn't exist anyway. It's just... Oh, there you go. Jesus fucking Christ, you can't help yourself. All we right. haven't done Schrodinger on here yet, right? No. No, but he, so we did Schrodinger with our friends group. Podcasts we could be doing. Well, if only someone cared to motivate us to make it happen. All right, um, let's see. I'm not addressing this in a useful way. I'm not adding anything to your thing here. Oh, all right. Well, am I? Do or, you like it? <laughs> I don't think I understand it well enough yet to judge it. Oh, well. Anyway, it's the I first time thinking, it's been really talked about. I keep saying about. things about it that you're like, well, no, I'm, it's not that the waveform is always, the wavefront is always moving. No, it's not necessarily that ideas come back to the center. Blah, 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 blah. So I don't think I get it yet. Well, I mean, it's it's ripe for additions. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you're, you're, you can be part of the team. Anyway, um. Well, I don't know. Uh, that was my thinking, was that the margins had, you know, if we're talking about memes, you know, the, you know, just because it's a useful unit of culture or whatever, uh, you know, to way of talking about it, I was just thinking, oh, well, you know, here we have this, um, you know, this genetic idea. I was reading this paper and I was reading what they were talking about it. And they certainly made it sound like, you know, uh, uh, it was a great idea and they were using it to try and analyze, um, you know, some health effects in these people in Canada. It's also, there's some African killifish that were studied this way. And anyway, there's other things, but, um, I thought, Oh, what if that's, you know, here you have like a center to margin kind of, you know, geometric shape or whatever. And, and you have some ideas about, you know, 
what happens with respect, you know, you have the connection between genes and memes. And I was like, oh, well, might as well just, like, that's the one thing about like the selfish gene and that, and the idea of the meme. I'm just like, anywhere it says gene, just throw in meme and then make it work. You know? You don't have to. Genes are memes. Oh, Uh-oh. for fuck's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it to you. I don't give a shit anymore. I just, you know, it's one of those things where I thought, you know, well, it's at the margin. And we come up with these ideas, these crazy ideas at the margin. We don't come up with crazy ideas with the Quo Bros. They're just still busy trying to hold the line, hold the pole where it is. And so at the edge is where ideas can get fixed or whatever, or lost even, you know. Um, Maybe some people, you know, they lose track of the paradigm they even came from or whatever. I know I'm like mixing metaphors now, but, or words or, you know, ideas. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like, that's what I'm trying to say when um, I'm talking about this wavefront stuff. Anyway, here's it, something that may or may not be slightly related, but yeah, I was inspired to think it by what you just said. Okay. And so there's also the way that we talk about on this podcast, which I think is different than the way it's used in some other parts of our culture about the alpha and the beta monkeys. Oh, and yeah. it's not like the whole, you know, masculine Joe Rogan style thing, but... um. What about this claim? Quo bro attitudes is beta monkey epistemology because, or at least in part that, it relies upon predetermined, handed down, installed methodology. And so then they can just fall back on that. Like, oh, no, but we've all already agreed dogmatically that if you have done things in this way, then it's admissible. And if you have violated any of those, it's out. Instead of what I would prefer, some sort of argumentation theory style epistemology, where no, and anything's allowed to be put into this premise-conclusion form and, you know, make your argument and whatever, and I'll evaluate it as it stands, versus the sort of ad hominem style, okay, well, what's your credentials, or, you know, how did you come up with this? Oh, well, you, uh, like, the things that make Rupert automatically out, because, oh, you're trying to study the sense of being stared at? Well, you can't, you know, that's not even science, the way it's done here inside these walls, can't address that. So you're automatically full of shit. That just seems like a really beta monkey activity to me. Well, it's funny because it's like, uh, yeah, I I just, um, in some ways you could say that the, the, the memetopole is actually in its own right sort of fixed. But I think that there's still quite a bit of play and flexibility in it in terms of, um, you know, that paradigm style, like just keep solving the problems, keep, you know, uh, you know, fitting the puzzle pieces together. So you're still making some kind of 
at least perceived sense of progress, right? You're still like you're in your paradigm, you're in your you're at the memetopole or whatever you want to call it, and you're you know you're a bunch of quo bros. You're gonna do your quo bro stuff, right? But it's when you're well out away from that, and you're just not as closely attached to it. It's kind of like, you know, if someone was to tell you the latest person who's a successful you know, musician or pop star or whatever it was, you wouldn't know what it is. And in part because you're kind of at the margins of that pop culture thing. You know what I mean? Like it's, you just don't know who, and I don't even know who they are. So I, I don't even know who they are enough to even say their names, whoever they are. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? So, so like out at the margins, you, you could like, I'm not saying you would come up with your own form of like completely different form of music, but it would definitely not jive with the overall direction that's happening in, in towards the middle. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I don't know where to put the gurus in any of this shit, but I, they complain. This is the thing. They complain about being at the margins, but as is noted often by those decoding the gurus guys, they get to enjoy tons of, uh, you know, uh, privileges like going, like just being like, Joe, I'm coming on your podcast to talk about my theory of everything, you know, which is certainly not something you and I can do, you know, and I'd be like, you know, Joe, I'm coming on your podcast, talk about quo bros and the menopole. Who's going to do that, you know? So uh, in some ways it's like, I don't know where to put those guys. Maybe they are in the center and they're just pouting or whatever. And everyone's like, Jesus Christ, just shut the fuck up or whatever. But, well, or they could be on the margin, but just be bad at it. Well, yeah, they could have. They could be on the margins, and a whole bunch of bad, deleterious ideas have gotten fixed, and it's like they just it just needs to die off, or whatever, um, something like that. I tend to think I think that for the most part, at least when they're doing this, maybe they've got ideas also. But when they're playing the guru game, they're just simply, like I've said before on this podcast, I don't even want to count Sam Harris as a quote-unquote intellectual. Like, he's when he tries to be an intellectual, for example, you know, the moral landscape or whatever, it's shit. It's just really poor quality. And the rest of the time, he's more like a social commentator or whatever. They're more like... Rachel Maddow and critics. Don Lemons or whatever, then they are like yeah. Richard Warrides. And right. that's why, just to, you know, I have a grievance. I'd like to monger. <laughs> a grievance that I have is just the whole, like, we, whine, we joke slash whine about nobody listens to this podcast. Nobody wants to hear two hack frauds talk for two and a half hours about Thomas Kuhn's structure of scientific revolutions or whatever. But, you know, that's the kind of thing I think that's useful and great and you motherfuckers should appreciate it. Instead, it's just much easier and more fun and more uh, shooting off chemicals in your brain. It's more chimpy to listen to people 
on the Sam Harris level, and then even meta that to hear people talking about Sam, like Sam Harris gave this hot take on this, and now we're going to talk about his take on that. And like this Twitter <laughs> level, like that's what gets all the clicks. And these are the people that actually have successful podcasts that make money and get listeners. It's yeah, just, it's, it's low it's, level chimp shit that anyone can appreciate and it's not interesting yeah it's the um no, don't no, put this sure. out there can we can <laughs> oh please it's going out this is the first part it's gonna we're gonna just gonna go in reverse yeah um no it's like those reaction videos that youtubers do i watched this one guy um yeah, he's all right but i watch him he's it's called abroad in japan sponsored by abroad in japan dollar's philosophy anyway um and he just, it's just him. It's just this one guy. And he does these videos and he's, you know, he obviously likes film. And usually the best YouTubers in my view are people who are just definitely be themselves. And they also have a really, they enjoy film. You know what I mean? Like making movies and documentaries. And they just, they don't mind filming themselves for whatever reason. Um, and he had, the, he had some, you know, video about like, you know, he did things like, you know, things I don't like about Japan or whatever or something like that. And like, I think, you know, how the whole idea about getting ratioed, you know, that term where it's like, if you're in Twitter, you put out a, 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 po a tweet and then someone comments on your tweet and that gets more likes than you do, you know, like, well, he got kind of like, I think ratioed by the, at least one in particular, like Japanese guy who just did a reaction video, which was because he's Japanese, wasn't very strong at all. His reactions, it was just him going, huh, hmm, you know, and that was it. But it was like, but he got more, he got ratioed by a reaction video to him, you know, a Japanese person reacting to an Englishman talking about what he doesn't like about Jap Japan or whatever. Like, and it was just like, fuck me. You know, you're right. I mean, people do mostly just want to, like, revisit the thing. Like, you know, a, a, a trailer for a movie comes out. And if it's like, you know, action, Aven Avengers, Marvel or whatever, there'll be if you just watch that trailer, you'll get like in your YouTube feed, all these people like breaking down the, the trailer to no end. You know, the, the breakdown is way longer than the actual trailer and um anyway yeah we're just sort of i guess that's what like an ecosystem's like though right it's like the the the, the ancestral cichlid goes into lake victoria as it fills with water and then it kind of eats something you know and maybe it eats some other fish or something or some snails or whatever and then another one you know it it, it you know it over time it it does episodic synchrony that's right and it evolves a couple of different, you know, lineages and, you know, there's, they're all doing their own little thing and, you know, some are down below and some are up above and all that kind of, eventually you get one that goes around just eating the other ones, but not eating them completely, just having a little nip, you know? And I kind of think that's kind of what happens in our like social media sphere or whatever. It's just got a lot of people just kind of like... There's so many people that rush into this thing, and after a while, it's like, well, what am I going to do? I'm just going to nip at these ones, you know, just take little bites, you know. 
Your pseudo-profound revolutionary conspiracy bullshit makes me cichlid. Many traditional views have taken the idea that some kind of mind associated with the sun. If people are happy to agree that the interface between mental activity and brain function are changing electromagnetic patterns, there are plenty of those on the sun. The more research that goes on in the sun, the more we find about their tremendous complexity. So what about the idea that the sun might be thinking or have some kind of mental activity associated with these electromagnetic patterns? Oh, Mr. Sun, Sun, Mr. Golden Sun, please shine down on me. Oh, Mr. Sun, Sun, Mr. Golden Sun, hiding behind the tree. These little children are asking you to please come out so we can play with you. Oh, Mr. Sun, Sun, Mr. Golden Sun, Please shine down on me Shine down on me Shine, shine, shine Shine down on me Shine, shine, shine Shine down on me Shine, shine, shine Shine down on me Oh, Mr. Sun, Mr. Sun, Mr. Golden Sun Oh, Mr. Sun, Sun, Mr. Golden Sun Please shine down on me Oh, Mr. Sun, Sun, Mr. Golden Sun Hiding behind the tree These little children are asking you To please come out so we can play with you Oh, Mr. Sun, Sun, Mr. Golden Sun Please shine down on, please shine down on Please shine down on me